0: My name is Heath, I'm the lead pastor here at REACH, and we're continuing our series that we started two weeks ago called I Am. Uh, this week we're going to be specifically talking about um, Jesus' um, statement in John 6. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And today we're going to talk about what does it mean for Jesus to be the truth. Uh, and before we get started, I just want to, let's pray. Jesus, we um, are grateful that you give us opportunity to know you and to experience you and to have life in you. And so this morning, as we talk about uh, what is truth and how we live in that truth, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace uh, to move forward, that you would give us grace to, to see the potential of what you have for us as we trust you Trust your word and walk in it. And so, Lord, as we read your word, as we hear your word, I pray that it would do in us what we're incapable of doing in ourselves. Bring transformation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So my one thing today is Jesus is the truth, which we're going to talk about that a little bit. But let me just talk about uh, in our world. In our world, typically truth changes. And you're like, what are you talking about? Truth is truth. Well, it's not. I mean, if you just looked at advertisements from 50 years ago, there was a lot of things that they were selling that today they would not sell without a surgeon's general warning on the side of the package. But it would be marketed and people would be excited to sell it. And they would think, hey, it's no big deal because truth was that back then it was no big deal until truth came out. So truth changed. Um, And there's lots of different scenarios like that. Lots of things that we have warning on right now, not kid friendly parts um, of why you shouldn't have this around kids. It's, you know, there's little pieces in it. There's warning in it that before, you know, it's no big deal. I saw um, earlier um, on Facebook, somebody was talking about, you know, kids today asking, hey, I'm going to go with a friend and say, that's fine, check in with me every 20 minutes to make sure you're safe and that you're okay. And then he 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 goes right under that, like me, when I was their age, it's like, hey mom, I'm going to the quarry with my friends, I'll be back at five. It's like, you know, we would just leave, like there would be nothing. Um, Truth changes a little bit. Let me tell you a little story about uh, a, a truth that got stamped in my head. So um most everyone in this room would say it is a truth that seatbelts are a good thing. Okay? You don't have to disagree with me openly. Um but seatbelts are a good thing. But when I was 16 or 17, you know, you think, you know, you don't need seatbelts because they'll either mess up your clothes or just, it just feels weird the way it lays on you. And so even though it was a truth that I would probably agree with, it wasn't a truth that I live with. Uh, and so I was in a, very rarely did I ever even put on a seatbelt when I was probably 16 and 18. Um, and on December the 23rd, I don't remember the year, probably, two, nine, definitely not 2092 92 uh, or 93, I was going to get a haircut uh, in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning. It had been raining a little bit uh, back where I was uh, from. And as always, I was running a little late. Um, so I had this little side road that I would take, like everybody else would go to this road and take a right, I would take this road right here and go really fast to pass anybody else so I could make sure to get to my haircut appointment on time, and of course I wasn't wearing my seatbelt, uh, because it was, you know, I didn't need that, that was good and uh it had rained and there was little water patches on the road and the first corner which i wasn't going fast yet but typically in this road i mean i really I had a uh, I had a 1987 um Geo Spectrum yeah. <laughs> top of the line it had vinyl floors it had vinyl seats it had five speed and you know just it had a little workout mechanism right there on your door that you could raise and lower the window. I mean, it it was a great car. It did make it out of the story, just for the record. And um, so the first corner, I, I hit a little puddle, and my car um, hydroplaned enough that it pivoted the um, my my forward motion into like a out of control motion. And so like midway through a curve, my car, which should be going this way, starts doing this. And I realize, like an idiot, just for the record, you cannot put on your seatbelt once your brakes have locked up. If you haven't tried it, take that as truth because it doesn't work. And so midway through this, because I'm looking at trees thinking this is the last day of my life. I had a you know, a little complex. I wasn't going to make it past 18. We'll talk about that later. But like I'm looking at trees in my like in this moment, it was like in slow motion. Every movie that you've ever seen. I mean, like I grabbed the seatbelt. I'm like, this isn't going to work. I'm going to be safe. And I'm <laughs> I'm hitting the, the seatbelt doesn't move. And so at, at one point I was just like, OK, the seatbelt's not going to go on me. I grabbed the steering wheel. I went off the six foot embankment, rolled onto the side and slid into a tree And we came, uh, or not we, I came to rest looking kind of up at the sky. And once, you know, the adrenaline really started kicking in, I wanted to get out of the car. Because you think, you know, cars blow up. Sometimes I watch way too many movies. It's a rarity that they blow up. But I wanted to get out of the car, so I got out of the car and got up on the road. And literally from the road... Um, all you could see was the bottom of my car, which was dark gray. It was an overcast day. This was a side road that people didn't normally take. If I would have been pinned in the car or injured, I would have most likely died there because no one would have found me. They would have rode by, and so I'm up on the road, and I run and get in Side note: I run about a mile and a half down the road to this gas station. They had a payphone out. You know, they had those back then. They had a payphone outside. I didn't have any change. I didn't happen to get it out of my car before I ran, and so I went inside to ask the lady, "Hey, can I use your phone?" And she was like, "Payphone outside." I was like, almost in tears. I'm like, I just need to. I just need to use your. I just need to call somebody. So I call my dad, and oh. I mean, he was super okay for the mall. I could hear it in his voice because he knew it. He was like, where were you at? And I told him, and he's told me over and over again, don't take that road because he knows why I would take that road. Car's dead. He gets there, uh, and I lose it when he gets there, like on the ground, and he's yelling because he's, I'm a father now, so I understand why fathers yell and kids almost die. It's not because we hate them. It's because we're scared. And he's like, you know, giving me the riot act in front of the cop and everybody else. And I'm like, ah. But the thing is, that moment, that experience solidified in me a truth that I believed was true before, but I wasn't living in. And honestly, what I want to talk about is that same truth that, that we can believe in the truth, which we talked about two weeks ago. Really, belief without action is not really belief. It's just knowledge. It's just a fact that you have. But for me, that from then, I mean, it's been a rarity that I don't put a seatbelt on before the car's cranked up. It's just what I do because of that experience. And so the danger is, is that regardless of what we say and others say, they believe about truth. The fact is that every day we live our lives on the basis of things we believe are true. We step onto airplanes that we believe will fly. We flip-on switches in our house that we believe will bring a desired result. We are all day long stepping into a truth, the thing that we think is going to happen because of the action. But the question or the tension that we have today is, are we living the truth that we believe? Because if we're not living the truth that we believe, it's not our truth. It's just something that we can say to other people. And so let me just give you a little review. If you've missed the last two weeks, so for week one we went through um, John 14, 1 through 12. The whole... Co- you know con ten of what's going on for verse 6 because you have to understand that leading up to this verse 13 or chapter 13 a lot of negative stuff were happening to the disciples meaning Judas the betrayer has left and they've acknowledged that he is the betrayer uh Peter has been told to his face in front of others that he would deny Jesus three times before the end of the night and Jesus has told them to their face plainly enough for them to understand that I am leaving their hope and everything else And John 14 1 starts with do not let your hearts be troubled in everything that passes after that. And the reason why we're landing on verse six is because verse six is our or for our comfort. Jesus is leaving, and we've got to put ourselves in these disciples' shoes who have given everything to follow this man who they weren't really sure, they thought he was the Messiah, but in their Messiah world, the Messiah was going to take up rule and reign in Rome, and he was going to set things right, and that wasn't Jesus' purpose. Jesus' purpose was going to the cross from day one, dying for the sins of man so that we could have life. And he tells them these things for their comfort. This is what he was telling them. And what I love about this is this wasn't, one, this wasn't a message that he was giving to the general population. This is a message that he was giving to his 11 guys telling them, hey, because Thomas, after this confusing little uh, back and forth, Jesus is like, hey, where I'm going, you know, you will come. And Thomas is like, whoa, like we don't know where you're going. And so to comfort them, Jesus tells them this, them this, I am the way. I am the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And last week we talked about this idea that if Jesus is the way, then, then it, it, it frees us up. We don't have to be our own personal Savior. We, we don't have to look for some other to help us be what God has created us to be. We just have to look to one person, and his name is Jesus. And again, in 14.6, this is what he said. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So today, what is truth? You may remember this conversation a little bit later on, four chapters on, in John 18, verse 37 through 38. Pilate, with Jesus, is there having a conversation, trying for the best of his ability to set him free because he finds no guilt in him. And he knows it's because of jealousies that the Jews are trying to kill Jesus and he's trying to free them. And Jesus make a, makes a statement to him that we all struggle with the same thing. Here's the conversation. Verse 37, it says, Then Pilate said to him, Are you, sorry, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king, and for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate says to him, What is truth? Our world, if you've not noticed this, is screaming for this question. They are saying, What is truth? Because is it relative? Can truth be picked by every single one of us? And it cannot. If there is a God, and if he is Jesus, he has just said that I am the truth. There is no other truth outside of him. And decade after decade, that truth has been solidified as they discover archaeological things that prove things that they said, "Mm, this is why the Bible wasn't correct. This one thing, and then they find the city that... They didn't know existed in this people. They didn't know existed to prove that. And so our question is, is it our truth? So he's saying, what is truth? And so Jesus is telling him, I mean, telling the disciples, I'm the truth. And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. He does not see a reason to crucify Jesus. Another, I, I love, one of my favorite parts of that dialogue is that Pilate tries to free him he said don't you understand that I have the power to let you go I have if you'll just give me the right information I can release you and Jesus facing death says you have no power and this is critical this ties right into what we're talking about you have no power other than what my father in heaven gives you and his purpose was to die on that cross. Nothing was going to stop him from becoming the last sacrifice for us. So, to answer Pilate's question, what is truth? Jesus is truth. John 8, um, verse 31 through 32. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word. You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The clearest example, or not example, the clearest way to the truth is in, the, not just mine, in ones that you have, in your digital device, is the Word of God. It becomes our way to see into the heart of God and the truth. But that truth has to move us because he's saying here and the next verse is going to further on this is that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. There's freedom in the truth that God offers us. And if we're not in experiencing that freedom, then we're not embracing the truth. Galatians 5.1. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. See, the balance that we're going to have from now on, if you say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then your life will be at war with the world. Because the world wants you to submit again to the yoke of slavery. The world wants you again to not live in and experience the life that comes from the truth that Jesus has for us. Period. Every show that you watch, every movie that you watch, every song that you listen to is going to try to distort or have you choose a separate truth. What does it mean to be in a relationship? What does it mean to use your money wisely? What does it mean to be a good employee? Everything that you see and watch is going to challenge that. It's, our, it's the world we're in. The problem is, and here's the problem, or a problem, is that we as Christians do the same thing. That we live in relative truth, meaning that we take some of God's truth and then we have some of our truth, and we sell some of our truth as God's truth to other people. I mean, think about it. We do it all the time. Like my dad, the first time I preached a sermon in big church, where the real people are, <laughs> asked me, he was like, are you going to wear a jacket? And I was like, I don't normally wear a jacket. My Dad grew up in a Baptist church, nothing against Baptists, but they wore jackets. You you dressed up on Sunday morning. He He was like... I was a youth pastor, so like I preached in Little Church all the time. That's a joke, by the way, don't take that personally. Um, and he like there was this truth in his world that's like you if you're going to stand on the stage and preach the word of God, you must wear a jacket because the jacket is where the the power of the like you're going to be preaching weekly without a jacket on. It's more like I'm going to be sweating more with a jacket on. But that was his truth. And the problem is if we're not really careful, we will condemn the world based on our truth of what they're not doing, instead of trusting in the word of God and declaring that. Because, you know, to be completely honest, we, we set in from traditional church to contemporary church to you know non denominational, which we are. There there's this world of going, Well, what is right? Well the the truth is everything we do today they didn't do two thousand years ago. They sang. But they, you know, there was no plug-in, there was no keyboard, not that keyboards are evil or drums are evil, or all those things are evil. There, there was no you know, podium, there was no stage, there was no steeple, there was none of that. So everything we do today, they didn't do then. It's something that could be, if we're not careful, it could be a tradition um, that has no meaning to it. Or it has meaning because it originated with meaning, but we elevate the meaning of that thing more than God would. I mean, Jesus preached on the side of the hill. Jesus went to, you know, temples, and I mean, he was all over the place. And we've got to be very careful that we're not submitting ourselves to a truth that's contrary to God's. And some of it sounds really good. Facebook. There's truth put out there all the time, and people's Opinions, And we have to be very, very careful that our truth is coming from the one place that we can trust. And the one place that we can trust, we have to be very careful that we're understanding what it says. Because right now, uh, majority of what I'm giving you are verses... Not out of context, don't take me wrong, but they're verses. I'm I'm not giving you everything. I said, so one of the dangers that we can get into is that we take a truth that we find in the Bible and we ignore everything that's around it, and so we, we make it something that it may not be. So we have to know the Word, which we're going to talk about in a little bit later. Why do we live and choose to live another truth when we know that the truth, when this is what we're going to talk about next week, leads us to life? And joy and peace, all of those things are what God wants to give us. So remember, to elevate the word, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus did something that was crazy. And we've talked about this over and over again, that Jesus was not just a good man, he was not just a good moral teacher, that he was the Son of God, that he was part of the Trinity, that he is bigger than that. And here's another one. Well, just for him to say that I am the way, the truth and the life is enough. But here's another one. Uh, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminded his listeners on of several points of the law so he would say something about the law and then he would do what the bible says that we're not supposed to do he would add to that he would say oh you know here's the law the the law says you know don't don't murder well but i say unto you putting it next to the law which is just crazy like we wouldn't add Jesus is like hey don't murder well the law says don't murder i say don't even be angry because if you're angry in your heart you've already committed murder here and the bible says do not commit adultery and, and and Jesus goes but i say if you even look lustfully at someone else that you've already committed adultery i mean he elevated he did what we're not allowed to do because he is who he says he is god See, Satan has been working against God's children from the beginning. See, when God created man and woman, he placed them in this beautiful and perfect environment. And God said, you are free to eat any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. We don't know what perfection looks like because we don't we've only lived in this environment we don't understand what it means to have no shame and i don't mean because you're so rotten that you don't have shame i mean like to literally adam and eve were naked and unashamed there was there was no self involved in that they weren't worried about anything because they existed purely before god period and so that was their world don't eat from this tree and what did satan do and i believe he has been doing it very creatively for a millennia, more than a millennia, for thousands and thousands of years, Satan came along in the form of a certain and said this, and I feel like this is what the world and Satan has been doing us for decades, did God really say? Because he, he was like, did he say you couldn't even touch it? And he, he confused her about a truth that she knew. Like, this is what God defined. And She had no reason to doubt God. And then Satan comes in there and, and twists it just a little bit. Surely you're not going to die. Because he didn't say anything about touching it. He talked about eating it. So I'm sure in her mind she was like, eh, I'm not sure. But could you imagine that moment where she touches the fruit that she believed a lie? Oh, boy, I didn't die. I've touched the fruit. Well, maybe... This liar is giving me truth. Which, of course, she realized really quickly in a whole nother sermon, a whole nother day uh, there with the interchange that happened in the first... If you're, if you're interested where marital issues came from, just read that dialogue. It went down really fast. They had no shame. They loved each other. It was all serve you, serve you, love you, yes. And then the moment... Adam was like he not only blamed his wife he blamed God that gave him his wife the woman whom you gave me it's her fault but really God whose fault it's your fault because you gave her to me and then what does she do like she's like I learned from that okay it was this like no one's going to take the blame for what they did even though God had in their purity told them don't Do this one thing. And that's what he did over and over again. And Jesus provided for us a demonstration of what our response when a lie or when a challenge comes to the truth and power of Jesus. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, was taken away for 40 days into the desert, fasted. At the end of that 40 days, Satan came to him and and offered him things. If he would just bow down, if he would do these things, just, you know, God said he would protect you. Just throw yourself off the top of this or create, you're hungry, create bread of this rock. And every single time, what did Jesus do? Like, see, if it was me, and we've proven over and over again, I would not be a good Jesus. Like, I, like, You know, anybody see the original Aladdin? Like, I imagine like the genie, but like, boom, Satan! And he just flies across the thing. But like, don't even come here, boy. I mean, like, this is his creation, because he is God, and and he could have done anything. He could have flexed up, he could have been like, ugh. Satan could have got scared, he could have threatened him, he could have gave him laser eyeball. I don't know, he could have done anything he wanted. And all he did, because it's all we get to do, is he quoted the truth against the lie over and over and over again what did satan do because satan he can he can try to move you from the truth but he cannot stand against the truth he cannot and so our only option our only way for us to move forward with the truth is to stand in it and if we're going to stand in it we got to know it so here here's three things that if we're going to live and walk in the truth. There's, there's three things that we need to do on a regular basis. And this isn't step one, finish. Step two, finish. Step three, finish. This is a, a, a circle. Literally, these three things you should be doing from the day you say yes to Jesus to the day that you're face to face with Him. Number one is we need to know the Word. We cannot defend ourselves with the truth if we don't know the truth. You cannot. You cannot Take what I say on Sunday morning and hope to fight Satan with what you remember about a sermon that I spoke. I mean, if you remember the text that I preach, you can use that, but the likelihood is you're going to remember stories. You're going to remember the, the seatbelt. like, Seatbelt, Satan! Get in your car and be like, Satan's gone! Seatbelt! Which I am going to use that at the end, so forgive me in advance. But you've got to know it, and to know it, you've got to be in the Word. You have to be in it. And it changes. And I I know, like, I've been a believer for 25 years. Been around church my entire life. Sunday school, all these other things. Flannel boards. You know, that's where the real ministry happened back in the day. But 25 years ago, I, I said, I trust your truth. And, and since then, and, and not always very well have I done this, but since then, I've dedicated my effort and energy to know more of his word. Because I'm telling you, I mean, and this is my job. But the truth is, you cannot let me do your job for you. I cannot. I cannot. It, like, I have to do my job for me, and I'm telling you, like, the, the, the enemy loves to mess with me. <laughs> the emotional hierarchy of uh, ministers, I don't know, if you. Um, three or four weeks ago, there was a pastor in uh, California um took his life. And there's been lots of articles, and I, I'm in a world where I see articles all the time about Christian stuff, and all these articles about pastors, And, you know, kind of this, why would pastors commit suicide? Why would pastors, you know, get to this place? And and the articles are are interesting because you think we have something that you don't. We don't. We're just like you. Have the same struggle that you do, probably even more, because like every time I leave here, um, you may leave here and go, man, that was a good Sunday. I leave here and go, did I do a good job? Like, will people come back? I mean, some of it's flesh and some of it's like spirit where I want people to respond to the gospel. But like there, there's parts of me where Satan will he will he will eat Sunday afternoons, man. He will just do, like, oh, oh, man, that them And this is not picking on Deacon right now, but them words weren't up there. And like and I don't blame Deacon for that. I, I'm like that. That's like I feel like, man, you're here. On Sunday morning, and we're not trying to test you to see how much of the song that you know. Uh, we just have computer difficulties. But I feel like, oh man, we, I, I should have. And there's so many things that the enemy's trying to do, and I have to be here. Because this is the only place that draws me back. Every time he brings encourage to me, encouragement to me, it's always through his word. He's drawing me back to a truth that he's spoken over me, and I have to, not, to, to believe it, I have to know it. That's one. You have to be in this so you can see what he says about you and who you are. You have to understand it. So if you're going to know it, it's not just enough to know it. You have to understand it. You have to dedicate your life to, to peeling apart the text. Because the danger is, is some of us peel apart the text and we get things that aren't Scripture from Scripture. And so you've got to know it. And so Acts 17.11 um, says, the Bereans, Um, there was a people that literally, so the disciples are going around and preaching the word and some just like, yes, take it, want it. He goes into a town and they hear the word and he praises them because they're like, let's study and see if this is what the word says. So Acts 17, 11, it says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they're declaring Jesus as the Messiah. And so they went back to the Old Testament and go, well, let's see if He meets the criteria. And out of that is where their faith was. And so not only do we have to know the Word, but we've got to understand it. And it's, that's why groups are great. It's It's good to be in a group because like, man... I think sometimes we will read and be like, yeah, that's what the word says. And we get around other people. Like I was in a Bible study on Thursday morning. And it was somebody brought a perspective that I'm like, there, that's truth. Meaning like it's, it's something that I, because I'm in this world, I think a certain way. And some of it's just because I'm in this world. And, and, and this person brought up this text and he was like, well, what about this? And he was like, you know, we cannot read into a text what's not there. We can't, we, we, I mean, and a lot of times when I'm preaching, I will speculate, and I try to let you know I'm speculating on what could have been or not just because I don't want to give you something that isn't. Some of it's the gospel according to Heath, but I try to let you know when I do that. But we have to understand the Word, and, and that's a methodical study of it. Being in the Word and not just reading it. So the most dangerous thing that we can do is have our quiet time, Where we read the word, but never that we that we never go further than that. We never take it into well, what does this mean? And for me, in my um, journal, typically, if it doesn't have like sermon notes in there, typically it's I'm reading something and I'm confused by it. And I write in my journal, like, here's a text, and I don't. Oh, what, what does this mean? And so then, if I don't have time right then, then I try to go back later and try to understand and take some of those I don't know. It's potentially the Holy Spirit going and dig a little deeper here. But you've got to understand the Word. And the last thing, and like I said, this is a circle that continues. We have to be the Word. So, not only do we need to know the Word... And we need to understand the Word, but we need to be the Word. John, sorry, third John 3 through 4. It says, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Literally taking the truth. Because it's one thing, I want you to say, yes, Jesus, and all these things, but I want you to leave here and walk in the truth. What does it mean? I mean just a pure example. Here's one thing that every one of us in this room struggle with. Unforgiveness. I can almost guaranteed at some level... Could have been on the drive over here. I don't know. At some level, we're living in a place of unforgiveness. And Jesus speaks very, very clearly about unforgiveness. If if we won't forgive others, then He won't forgive us. And He gives another demand that we must walk in forgiveness. And that doesn't mean letting people... That's another sermon altogether. That doesn't mean letting people railroad over you. But that means... As it relates to me, I'm going to walk in that. And how many other truths are we ignoring because it's uncomfortable? So I'm going to invite our worship team back up here. And so here's a couple of questions. Is Jesus the truth that you are living? Because it's, if it's, like I said earlier, if it's not a truth that you're living, then it's not a truth for you it's just something that you declare but a truth is something that we move in because my my fear is that we we spend our life kind of on the on the on the edge of chaos just like me before I was 18 I spent my life riding around in this stupid car that weighs thousands of pounds with other let me just call them idiots, because some of them are, out there that it could have easily crossed the line. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful to be alive because they didn't have texting and driving when I was younger. I mean, nowadays, man, you ride by and people are like... <laughs> but that experience rocked me. I mean, honestly, I, I don't drive in a car without a seatbelt on because of this one moment in my life. And at the end of the day, that seatbelt's not going to save me, my soul. It's not going to escort me into eternity. It's not going to give me grace or mercy. It would just potentially save me from an accident and being injured. The truth that brings salvation is trusting and believing in Jesus for what He has done for us. And so my next question for you outside of you, are you living that truth is is that you? Have you have you like in my scenario, have you put on the seatbelt? Have you instead of just declaring, "Yes, Jesus, I've got my bumper sticker and all these other things." Are you literally taking the physical action of going, "God, I trust you?" Because we, we don't get to partially let him be the way and partially be our truth and partially give us life. It is all or nothing. And this morning as we go back into worship, I just challenge you to, to look inside of you and ask, are you trusting Jesus today? Because that, that looks very different than saying to someone, I am a Christian. That means something very different, because if we're going to be the church, if we're going to change our city, we've got to exist in this world. So we've got to know the truth, we've got to understand the truth, and we've got to live in the truth. Let's pray. The beauty of this morning, Jesus, Is that you know what I don't. You know the state of every single heart in this room. You know relationally if they are connected to you. If they are believing that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And you know that. It's not a surprise. It's not something that if we utter that to you, you're going to be shocked. You know And Lord, I just declare that you went to the cross for us to wrestle with that reality so that we could experience life and life abundantly. Lord, for us to get to the life that we're going to talk about next week, Lord, we we need you. Lord, I just declare my insufficiencies, my inability to be my own savior over and over again. And so, Lord, as we worship you in this last song, we just ask that you would settle in us this reality. And that settling for us would move us to action, that would literally move us to putting on the truth, to actively engaging our world in that truth with grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that our image of what evangelism looks like would be emulated by you. Lord, you, you, did not, you did not not tell the truth. You did not not speak the hard thing. But Lord, I pray that you would give us grace and mercy to do that correctly with the people that we come in contact with. And that has to be rooted that you are our way, our truth, and our life. So this morning, if there's someone in this room that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you draw them to you. Lord, you open their eyes and their heart and their minds to you. And Lord, I just thank you for you doing what I am unable to do. Lord, you're the rescuer. You are the redeemer. You have showed your love for us in truth by your death on the cross, by you paying the penalty for our sin. And our work is to believe. That that is truth for us. And so as we worship, Lord, I pray that you engage our hearts to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.